Hey, what's up? It's your girl Sequoia, host of the BE The Code podcast. Now, today we have a special guest, Troy Carter, founder and CEO of Adam Factory, a talent management agency that manages some of the best and hottest artists in the world, including John Legend, Lady Gaga, and the list goes on. Currently, he's the global head of creator services at Spotify. And what's interesting and unique about the situation is we were actually interviewing Troy for our cover story. And there were so many gems that he was dropping that I was like, there is no way we can put this all in a magazine. And what I didn't want to do is let that stuff go to waste because I feel like there's so much information and just knowledge that he has that I wanted to share with the audience. So to tee this up, Troy was in the process of getting ready for his photo shoot, but he was kind enough to actually have this conversation in the midst of the photo shoot itself. Talk about flexibility. So I'm gonna go ahead and let you guys jump right into this and we're gonna take it from there. Um, I get, you know, my background, I came, I grew up 50, 52nd and Cedar in Southwest Philly. Um, grew up during, you know, what I consider like the golden age of hip hop, you know. Um, basically, it was at its infancy um, it was very entrepreneurial, for, you know, for, yep. for sure. You know, we had Lawrence Goodman, who owned Pop Art Records in Philadelphia. Mm. Um, you know, you had Russell Simmons, who had, you know, Def Jam in New York. You had Sugar Hill, you know, that was, you know, up north on, on the Turnpike. So, you know, it was a lot of, and, and it was a lot of smaller labels around mm -hmm. as well. So if you were, a, it was it was pretty easy at that point to go from, you know, a guy DJing parties and 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 rapping and in basements to becoming you know a sort of local legend, mm. and then that local legend kind of went to regionalize, mm -hmm. you know. So I just kind of grew up, you know, dur during that era and was like very very close to the culture at that point. And so what made you say I want to do that? You know, I th you know, I, I think in. I, I went from, uh, I think, ninth grade, me and my best friends had this rap group, you know, Too Too Many, and it was like, if we meet Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince, they're going to give us a record deal. And they, and they were like, you know, Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince were probably, they had probably become some of the biggest musicians in, mm -hmm. in, in the world at that time, yep. and especially from Philadelphia. Yep. And... Um, so, and they were the only ones from Philly. So that was like our, our way out. And so we just went down to Will's, uh, to Jazzy Jeff's recording studio for six months until we met him, you know, and that was the game plan. So if, if we meet him, they're gonna help us. What happened? We met them and they helped us. <laughs> it, well, then how did you end up at Overbrook? Is that the same relationship? No, so this is pre-Overbrook. Okay. So this is this is before uh, before Overbrook. This is right around when Will started Fresh Prince of Bel Air, uh -huh. and. Um, and Jazzy Jeff had a recording studio downtown Philadelphia. Okay. You know, so, and Will would come there to record. Okay. So we put in our demo tape. Um, you know, I think they, they basically saw more hustle and determination mm. and I think good spirits in mm. us because, you know, Great. we were just yeah. kind of fun to be around yeah. too. And they just took us under their wings. What and I kind of, oh, the group was terrible. <laughs> like, you know, we went, we went double wood and... 
no pla- so no good. no platinum success for us. <laughs> but I, I, it gave me a chance to really learn about the business because I, 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 where Will was this sort of creative. Um, how do like Will Will was this guy who whatever he had in his head he figured out a way to do, mm. and I was really uh, drawn to that. And his manager James Lasseter yep. was super practical, yep. and James was the guy who was the architect and figured out how do you build the things in Will's head mm. where it's stability under it and it doesn't fall apart. <laughs> So I kind of learned from both of those guys, okay. and um, and and sort of took the 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 best of both of them, and was kind of what were I was able to build that as like the cornerstone of the beginning of my career. Wow! And then how did you get at Overbrook? Uh, well, that was Will and James started Overbrook, I think, in probably in the mid '90s or so. Mm-hmm. So after I stopped working for, you know, it. I stopped working. I was working for Puffy before I went back, went to Overbrook to work for those guys. What was that like? Working for Puff was great. You know, it was. I met Puff through promoting shows in Philadelphia. I was okay. promoting a notorious B.I.G. show, uh-huh. and Biggie was a no-show to the concert. You were like, we'll do it. <laughs> and uh, so Puff and I kind of met through an argument over notorious B.I.G. not showing up to my uh-huh. concert. And he ended up uh, giving me a job as an intern at Bad Boy. Oh, okay. So I had an internship there, kind of worked my way through the system. Uh-huh. And, um, and were you still an artist at that time? Oh, no, this is after my okay. failed career okay, as an artist. I, yeah, I, was, okay. I, I, I don't know if I gave up as much as it gave up on me. <laughs> but Puffy was great because Puff is a hustler. Yep. And Puff is a guy who um, super determined. Yep. Um, great marketer, really understands uh, people and consumers, and he knows how to sell. And you know, and he he knows. I think Puff has is is it's a level of determination that you see in very human, very few human beings. Interesting. So, and when you look at what he's gone through in terms of some really difficult personal challenges throughout yeah. life and his career yep. and to make it out on the other side it takes it takes a lot yeah and um so that i was able to to look at that and learn from that and watch it up close was i think it was helpful to me in terms of developing some tools to put in my own toolbox. So he does the whole sleep when you die thing. Is that something you adapt to? Like, I don't believe you... in that. Like I you know, um, I you know, I think it's like I think sleep which you sleep when you die helps you get die. there much quicker. It helps you die much quicker, right? Um, so I don't I don't believe in it. Like um, I actually I'm I'm writing a book right now. Um, it's a journal. It's like a, it's a personal, uh, it's a pr- productivity journal. Okay, nice. But one of the sections in the pr- productivity journal is actually the antithesis uh, to that. Okay. You know, because like for me, I know I function m- seven, seven hours is my is my sleep number. Yeah, me too. And um and I know I function incredibly well on seven hours, yeah. right? Four hours, I'm no good to anybody, right? Not to myself or anybody that I'm, I'm, I'm 
in business with. And then you got some people who need nine hours, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of understanding your physical needs for, for, for sleep and uh, rejuvenation that I think makes you a better hustler or entrepreneur. Right. After the photo shoot completed, Troy still had a couple of things to say, and I wanted to make sure that we got that on the record. Personal health is extremely important to him. Listen in as he dives into elements of self-care. The, 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 the saying, know, know thyself. And I think um, really understanding, um, you know, physically, you know, the, everything from how many hours of sleep you need to what types of foods fuel your body best mm -hmm. to um, physical environments mm -hmm. to, you know, to, to, to be in. Um, but also just the, the, the spiritual element, like, you know, are you having time to actually recharge? Um, are the relationships in your life um, helping to fuel you uh, and propel you forward? Uh, so, so these are all things that even for myself, just kind of noticing, um, I call it pruning. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's, it's like, you know, every once in a while you go through and you got to prune social contacts, you got to prune uh, relationships, personal relationships, business relationships, and because uh, I, I think all of that plays into um, the level of success that you end up having in your life. True. Because if you have too much of um, things that negatively impact, that creates drag on your ability yep. to, to, to succeed. Awesome. Yeah. So now that you're all caught up, we're going to dive into our Tech Connect conference where Troy and I have a deep discussion around his career and what's going on with technology and entertainment. So what I want to dive into before we actually get into all the nitty gritty is just your tech transition because I remember I used to work in the music industry as a commercial music video director. Okay. And I remember being at Interscope Records and having a conversation with, with Vince Herbert. Yes. And they were like, oh, Troy's doing tech now. And that was like before anybody was talking about tech. So how did you have that foresight to be like, okay, this, this industry is great, but let me jump over into that other industry? Uh, you know, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> I think um, it probably was a little bit more uh, luck, luck, luck and instinct than foresight, by the way. Mm. Um, you know, I think it, it's that whole idea of um, right place, right time, um, meets past experiences that kind of led me into, um, into the world of tech. You know, Vince and I, uh, Vince, who, who you mentioned, is a really good friend and who I'd known for years, and Vince introduced me to Gaga, and at that time when we started her career, we couldn't get our music played on the radio, so we were using um, technology platforms to leverage it. So um, YouTube was pretty much our primary source. We would put these videos up on YouTube to try to get them out there because we couldn't get her played on the radio. And then she was so good on Twitter and Twitter was just starting to, to, to rise. Um, that sort of became the, our primary platforms for distribution and to reach audiences. And um, and from there, technology companies just started approaching me about um, becoming an, an, an advisor, and then that kind of led to investing. 
And, um, and I just like spending time with entrepreneurs, so it, it worked out. Love it. And so what were some of your first investments? The first investment was a, was a dud, but um, <laughs> it was like the dumbest thing I could have invested. I won't even name the company since I said <laughs> it was the dumbest thing I could have invested in. But it, it was one of those things where I didn't do... Um, I didn't have enough experience, um, and I didn't do the diligence on the company. I kind of relied on other people who were investing. I'm like, those guys are smart. They've made investments before. I'm just going to follow them. And, uh, and then after that, I said, never again will I follow somebody without doing my own investigation and, and, my, and following my own instinct. But, um, but I, I think I've done probably a little over 100 investments. That's been about seven years now. But uh, you know, I was an early investor in Uber, um, I early investor in Zimride, which ended up becoming Lyft, um, Warby Parker, um, The Skim, Spotify, Dropbox, um, a, bunch, a lot of really great companies. So a lot of companies like, you know, seven years ago that were like, okay, kind of, we, the way we look at it is like sort of trimesters, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's kind of like that uh, companies that were in their first trimesters have now become like the Ubers and Lyfts and, and those companies. And then a few years ago, we've invested in some companies that now we kind of feel like, are moving into that like second and third trimester now. Interesting. Yeah. Awesome. And so and some of them were like miscarriages, <laughs> but like that first one. Things happen. Things happen. <laughs> so coming from the hip hop space and very much understanding culture, how do you think that influences your investments? You know, I think um, so. You know, I was talking to, uh, to to the CNBC team earlier, and we were talking about. Um, just like I didn't come from an investment background, mm -hmm. so like not really understanding uh, anything about venture capital. Uh, I think it was it, it gave me an advantage of being able to invest through the lens of a consumer, through um, instinct, and I think coming from like hip hop and and specifically West Philly, you kind of develop survival skills, you develop uh, good reads on people. Um, coming up where, where we, coming up in, in art, I, I lived through the dark years of hip hop. So it's like, you gotta know who the bad guys in the room are. You gotta know, you know, who has the gun on them and who's actually gonna use it. So, and, and, and how to navigate those sort of waters and rooms. So you develop a good instinct to, to kind of read rooms and read people. And I think that's kind of helped sitting down with entrepreneurs and, um, and other investors and kind of knowing, you know what, is that person, I, I, don't, I don't believe that they have the ability to kind of get this over the finish line. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and, and also just to be an entrepreneur, it, being an entrepreneur is, is tough. Yeah. It's tough. And it's, um, and as sexy as, as, you know, media makes it seem and, and everything else or whatever, you know, uh, fellow entrepreneurs in the room know that, you know, you live through this sort of roller coaster and you, you have, you have to have, an incredible amount of grit to make it through on the other end. Yeah. And 
some entrepreneur some some people aren't built to be entrepreneurs you know and they and and that's what I kind of look for. Do you have that 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 grit that's going to get you through the other side? Mm. And so with your transition, because there are a lot of things that you need to know from the VC side, like how did you learn all of that stuff? Uh, humility, you know, it, it, like where I felt like I knew a lot about the music industry mm -hmm. and I couldn't take that level of knowledge of the music industry and think that it was automatically going to be applicable to tech so for probably for the first year you know of, of me spending time in the valley it was really about finding mentors and people who could teach me you know and the mentors you know a lot of the mentors were younger than me you know and i learned a lot from a lot of young guys who had, you know been through it and experienced it um, and i asked a lot of questions and i took notes and i asked people for their time and you know, one, one guy, Ron Conway, who was fantastic to me, Ron just, I remember sitting in Ron's apartment in San Francisco, just filling out notes, you know, every single thing that he said I was writing down. Um, I got close to the Google Venture guys, uh, Bill Maris and, um, and David Crane, and spent like multiple days in Google Venture's office. You know, let, they were letting me read through like investor decks. And, you know, so all of that kind of helped me just develop, uh, you know, the, the basic tools and around language that I needed to know mm -hmm. and around deal structure and things like that. And I think applying that instinct that I had from the music industry and the streets um, with the basic you know, knowledge and tool sets for, that those guys taught me, I think helped me figure yeah. it out. That's awesome. Yeah, and so now you're seeing all of these artists, musicians kind of transitioning into tech. Obviously you kind of led the way into that. What are some of the companies that you're seeing coming out of that? And like, how do you feel like the success rate of those artists making that transition is going to be? You know, you, you, you have a little, you, 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 the, the thing is, you know, going back to what I just said, you just, you, you can't take what you know and think that, you know, because I know this, you know, because I'm a great marketer, that is gonna make me a great tech investor. It doesn't work that way, right? And I think, you know, it's artists, like watching Nas, for instance. Nas, has, him and his manager, Anthony Soleil, mm -hmm. have built an incredible, incredible portfolio of technology companies. And I think Anthony and Nas were the first people to talk to me about Bitcoin five years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so, you know, they had been on it early and, but I think a lot of it had to do was who they surrounded themselves with, um, them really taking it seriously and, and investing the time. And you look at Ashton Kutcher and Ashton's built a great portfolio. I've been spending a lot of time with some of the guys from, from the NBA and just seeing mm -hmm. what like Iguodala and those yep. guys and what he and his partner Rudy are doing. Uh, with Steph Curry's doing some really interesting things. Uh, Roger Mason. So, like, I'm seeing a, a lot, a, a generation of of young guys who are really investing the time. And these guys aren't saying I'm taking my money and I'm going to invest in a, a record label, a recording studio, or a barbershop, or my friend's restaurant. Uh, you know, these guys are, are investing in companies that are turning into you know multi-billion-dollar companies. Yeah, yeah. That's really awesome to see too. And so 
from my perspective, I'm very curious in terms of where you are with your investments. What do you see in the future? What is hot? What's trending? What do you feel like people should look toward? You know, um, the, the future, you know, I think is very bright and very scary at the same exact time, <laughs> you know, because I, I think um, technology's moving faster than humankind can keep up with. And, um, and, and especially uh, America's not prepared for the technological changes that, that are ahead in terms of uh, artificial, uh, artificial intelligence and, and robotics and, um, and things in that, in that space that I think are gonna be um, both transformational and, um, and destructive to the workforce. You yeah. know? So how do we prepare ourselves for um, for what, what are the next generation of jobs gonna be? If, mm -hmm. and, and I think just looking at what I'm seeing coming down the pipeline, you know, when you look at things like manufacturing, customer service, um, you know, uh, 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 even things down to driving, like, you know, I, I didn't realize driving was one of the num number one jobs for, I think it might be the number one job for Caucasian males in America. Interesting. Yeah, and <laughs> those aren't going to exist. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be jobs. There. Yeah. You know, so, and when you look at even things down to what Amazon's doing, um, and this is going to be over the next 36 months, where, you know, you're going to walk into stores, grocery stores, and just walk out. Mm. It's not going to be any cashiers. Yeah. Um, I, was, I, I, I met an entrepreneur recently uh, who was showing me these sort of, uh, it was these security guard robots, right? That just kind of roam through parking lots and around retail facilities and apartment facilities. And I said, well, I said, how much are you selling them for? He said, I'm not selling them. You know, I'm, I'm charging, I think it was $10 an hour or whatever. And these things had, 360 eyes around its head that, you know, it, it, could, it had facial recognition, it could read license, license plates, so, and, and it recharges itself. So soon, it's like those little uh, vacuum cleaners that, that goes back to the base when it runs out. So when you, and what he talked about was with security guards, the, the amount of churn right. for, for, uh, for the security guard workforce. So when you think about insurance, workman's comp, all of those things or whatever, and when you, and, and also these things are gonna be able to alert police officers. Oh, that person stole from the store last time. I'm gonna alert, you know, the authorities that, that, that they were in there. These are the types of things that are coming down the pipeline quickly and so I, so I do think um, us as, 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 as Americans and as entrepreneurs and things like that, I think we have to walk that balance of what is going to be, uh, what, what's the right thing to do for growth in terms of, you know, financial opportunity, but also um, what's our social responsibility and what's our social contract with, with each other where and do we is that going to be the right thing for, for for our country if we're getting rid of hundreds of thousands mm. of jobs ah. millions of jobs 
Yeah, that's an interesting one. What do you think? Like, where where do you see those people being displaced, or what do you, what do you see? What do you think is going to happen? I think we have to have a balance, you know. And this is where you know the relationship between the public and the private sector have to strike um, some 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 sort of balance. Because I think you know, as a mentality in Silicon Valley, where it's you know, and 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 Wall Street, by the way, where it's grow at all costs, you know, and it's move fast and break things yeah. and it's you know just this whole sort of ethos that i don't think we're actually taking our our fellow citizens and brothers and sisters and our kids and grandkids into consideration after as we're thinking about some some of these things that are coming down the pipeline yeah. and i'm not saying you know we should over regulate or um, or you know, not be competitive with other countries when it comes to certain things. But I do think there are serious um, re long-term repercussions that we are going to have to take into consideration as these things move quickly. Mm. That is definitely something to think about. Yeah. But before our, our whole country looks like Detroit. Right. Right. Wow. Okay. On a lighter note. <laughs> <laughs> good morning, good morning, everyone. <laughs> How Spotify? <laughs> Tell us how you transition there and, and what's going on with, with what's happening. Uh, you know what? It's, 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 it's been fun. You know, I've been at Spotify for probably, I've been an investor for five, five or six years, and I've been inside of the company for probably 16 months or so. And it's been fun, you know, it's like a, a kid in a candy store because I love music and I love technology and I'm around some of like the smartest people in the world yeah. that are working on things that I deeply care about. So it, it's, been, it's been fun and especially to see the music industry that's been like the same for a hundred years finally feel what? like it's, it's moving forward like, uh, like the rest of the world's moving forward. How do you think Spotify is going to kind of rectify what happened with the record industry when sales started to drop and then artists weren't getting paid? How do you think Spotify is helping to solve for that? You know, um, I think, you know, when, when you look out at the amount that Spotify has paid out um, over the last, you know, eight years and then this year alone is, you know, probably, I think, five billion dollars or so like giving back to the, giving back to the industry and then i think being you know on top of the financial contribution to the industry being able to you know uh spot you know where spotify has i think i think we have 4500 owned and operated playlists right yeah for all different types of music and when you look at how hard it is for artists to get on radio and like you know to get your video played in certain places, you know, is only, if you listen to the radio station, it's probably 18 artists, right? You know, that they play over and over and yep. over and over again. And, um, and so, and those are big superstars. So it's hard for new artists to kind of get a share of, of those spots. So to be able to help artists find audiences and things like that, I think, and, and especially on a global level, I think it's been helpful to the industry. That's it, you guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of BE The Code with Troy Carter. I'm your host, Sequoia, and I will see you guys on the next one.